And here we are, guys. We have our first sponsor of In The Booth. And I couldn't be more excited because this is a company and a brand that I've used for a while now. We got AG1, and it's a nutritional supplement that I take every single morning, all right? I feel overall better health, mental clarity. It helps with my digesting. And the best part is, is that it's just one drink that you take. So you don't have to take a whole bunch of different supplements. This has all types of great stuff. I love it. You should try it out. AG1. I take it every single morning. And if you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five That's five AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash booth. That's with two O's. That's drinkag1.com slash booth. Check it out. I promise you're going to love it and get excited for this all new episode of In the Booth. Welcome back to In the Booth. I'm Sean Booth, and today we have a fantastic episode for you guys, a conversation that I'm very excited to have. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it, setting up the scene here across from me on the love seat. She's coming off of a birthday week, you guys, and for today's purpose, she just turned 33. Her name is going to be Samcat33. I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you so much for the intro. <laughs> You're welcome. And before I introduce our very special guest, I'm going to lay the groundwork for how we got here today. So a lot of you know, and I've talked about this before, I'm a very big documentary guy. I think I've seen every documentary on Netflix, and it's kind of a running joke with my family and my friends They're always like, what documentary did you watch this weekend? It's something I'm always talking about. And I feel like recently I've ran out of good documentaries and there hasn't been much. I've seen everything. I've started watching stuff on Hulu, on Amazon. But that wasn't until this past weekend. On Friday night, I'm at home eating pizza. Dre's doing what pregnant women do, which is sleeping on the couch. And I'm scrolling through and across Netflix appears this tiger. And it just says tiger 24. So I open it up and I start watching it. And the very first scene is this unbelievable shot of this tiger coming out of the woods, carrying a a kill, which was a bull, I believe. And then you see this Jeep slowly turn the corner right there with a camera. And that's how it got me hooked. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be good. So I watched the documentary and I'm going to play the trailer for you right now since it will do a better job of explaining it than I will. I thought I was making a documentary on a tiger in the wild. But in 2015... The tiger I was following killed a man who entered his territory, and my documentary became about something bigger. He was a 
pride of Ramthambore, but now is the biggest villain of the national park. We are talking about Ustad or T24, who was abruptly relocated a few days ago, allegedly because he had turned into a man-killer. Accused of killing four humans in the last five years, Ustad is now forced to live in a small enclosure miles away from home. Him being taken out of his territory by wrongful and inconclusive evidence is not correct. All the four incidents happened in the core area of the forest and not a single incident had happened in the human settlement so how can we call this tiger a man-eater? In Ranthambor, T24 was a man-eater. And he will always be a problem because he now has a memory implant that this is food. Experts have been interviewed. Articles have been written. Billboards have been erected. Protests have been held. The highest courts of India have been moved to consider the case of this tiger. This is the story of a tiger and the question of his place in the world. This is the story of a tiger who united a nation against its own government. This is the story of Tiger Number 24. There it is, so beautifully done. And the documentary had me feeling a whole range of emotions. And I told all my friends this weekend, I'm like, you have to watch this. It's incredibly done. And it had me wanting to know more answers. I had a ton of questions. So I was sitting on the couch right after I watched it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to shoot a DM to the producer, the director, the writer, and ask if he wants to come on the podcast to talk about it. So here we are. He responded. We got him here all the way from Los Angeles. Everybody give it up for Warren Pereira. Thank you. Welcome. Good to be here, man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So we're going to take it back from where it all started. Okay. You went out to India, which right. is where you're from originally. Right. And you just were going to do a documentary on a tiger. I mean, where it all started was like, I wanted to do like a, a narrative drama in L and I couldn't get it going in LA. So I... So I went to India to do a tiger doc uh, because, you know, tigers have always been part of my family's history. My, my grandfather actually used to shoot tigers when it was legal to do so. I thought that was like an okay thing when I was younger. And later on, I realized, oh, that's kind of a problem. And that's why, you know, hunting is now banned in India. So, but, but it's always been part, you know, of my mind and uh, my first degrees in biology. So... Um, I just went in with like a handheld 5D, which was like a, a cool camera at the time. And I started going to different tiger reserves to locate a subject tiger. Um, I was told to follow a tigress with cubs because those su supposedly make for the best documentaries because you, you know, you get the cute cubs. It's easier to find the tigress. The tigress does most of the hunting, not the males. So you get that, that behavior. But I saw this uh young male tiger sitting in the water that that shot you know the him there and that was like the first time i saw him and he looked right into me and i was like who is this guy you know and I, I got this crazy shot and and they said oh he's he's a male and he's a new dominant male and we think he may have killed somebody or two people and probably shouldn't follow him because he's impossible to find he's dangerous and and impossible to find means money Meaning, because most of the days you don't even see a tiger, right? So, and if you're trying to find one tiger, the larger their territory, which is the case with a male, especially a dominant male, because he has a bigger house, bigger territory, 
uh, the more difficult. But I just said, I want to follow him. I just felt like a connection and I felt like there could be something here. And, and so I just decided to go in there like once or twice a year and just find him and just film him, not knowing that, you know, three years later, he would be in the high court and Supreme Court. Well, not the Tiger's case. You know? Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. And that was in 2012 you got the first shot. That's the 2012 shot. Yep. yep okay. Yep. So you yep. were going out there sparingly getting shots of Tiger 24. Yep. And then all of a sudden it turned into something completely different. Took yeah. a 90 degree turn. And this was after he allegedly killed the fourth human. Yeah. Well, the fourth documented. So there's six kills in his territory, six human kills. Uh, the other two bodies were, were so mutilated and maybe eaten by a leopard later on that we couldn't tell like, you know, was it him or someone else? But uh, the film looks at four uh, alleged attacks. I don't want to give it away, but, right. you know, yeah. there's controversy. Was it him? Was it someone else? You know, yeah. Okay. And so the area and, and the town, mm -hmm. how do you pronounce that town? Rantambor? Yes. Yeah. Um, so basically they have a, and it, you call it a jungle, right? Is it a reservation? Yeah, for, it's a forest. forest. It's, a, it's a tiger reserve. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a forested area and... Uh, Basically, in this in the early 70s, they decided to protect these areas. Right. They're actually the former hunting grounds for the Indian royals and when the British ruled India because hunting was a sport. And so basically the hunters, in a way, uh turned into conservationists because they maintained the forest for the sport of hunting, because it was this cool thing to go and shoot a large predator. Mm -hmm. But it just got to the point where there was hardly any left. Mm -hmm. And so Indira Gandhi, the prime minister, said, that's it. We're starting Project Tiger. No more hunting. It was a Wildlife Protection Act. And then we started all these tiger reserves. And Ranthambo was, was amongst the few first tiger reserves. It was, a, it was the smallest one. But now it's it's grown in size significantly. And how big exactly? 109 square miles. Okay. Yeah. So not that big, but big for a tiger reserve. Yeah. And Ustad, which is the the name of Tiger 24. Yeah. How big is his area? Was his area approximately? About 50 square kilometers and growing. Yeah. And with him being the king of kings and that tiger, like you're saying, it's tough for other tigers to come into his territory, right? Yes. And yes. he also had a family there with two cubs. Yes. And you see in the film where you don't know if those two are going to fight. So no other tigers want to come near this guy, basically. Well, T-28, also known as Star Male, who was briefly featured in the film, did come in a couple of times. There were some fights. And if you look really closely, um, actually at that opening shot, he's slightly bleeding because he had a fight with T-28 a few days before, which we didn't document, but that's what happened. Um, and as far as the Cubs, he had three Cubs. So one was Sultan, yeah. the, the elder son, and then the, the two later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's a part in the documentary where you jokingly say, if we get attacked, just keep the cameras rolling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm watching it and I'm like, holy shit, you were really close to these tigers. Were you nervous at all? When you're in the Jeep, the chances of you being killed by a tiger are like slim to none. It's, it's, I mean, it's, there's been, I think a couple of documented attacks, but it's, it's very rare. Okay. Because they don't, they're intelligent. They're not, they know the Jeep's bigger. They know the Jeep is faster. They know the Jeep can run them over. And for the most part, they're not looking to attack humans, but when you're on foot, it is different because then you're dealing with this, the surprise element. So when I said that it was just in the moment, because I was actually, 
going back to where Ram Paul Sani was killed, the fourth attack. And I, when you look at it, it's just, it's just off the main road. You think, okay, it's not a big deal. But once you go there, you kind of sense like, oh, this could happen any moment because these big cats know how to hide. And so we were going back to this place where this man was killed. And, and you know, so all kinds of things enter your mind. You, you think of him, of the man that was killed. You kind of get respect for what happened to him. You think of yourself. And so I was a little nervous, but I was also kind of just jo- half joking on is how I deal with things sometimes, yeah, you know? So yeah, I, I I said that and people found it entertaining. So we left it in the film. Uh, it was some concern about was it disrespectful, you know, and maybe take it out. But Ron Paul's son, who I've really gotten to know, you know, seemed to be okay with the film, and so I left it in there. Yeah, yeah. and that's what's uh, interesting too about this documentary is that you are meeting with the families yes. of those that were killed by the tigers and getting their take and their thoughts on what happened and i guess what is right and wrong and i guess the whole the main question of this documentary is is it his fault that people are coming into his territory Mm -hmm. where he lives because four of the deaths all of them were confirmed inside of the forest right and so it goes back and forth with tiger experts people who live in the area and activists trying to decide what is right versus what is wrong. And if Tiger 24 should be freed, because it seems like the spot they put him in is, I don't want to say inhumane, but a lot different than living out in the middle of the forest. Oh, yeah. And so for years, activists have tried to turn this case around and just continued to get shut down. Yes. What do you think? Well, well now... It's permanently shut down because, because T24 passed, passed away, away. In, in captivity. Right. He got, ended up getting bone cancer. Uh, what do I think? So here's what I really think. I I I don't like answering this question. And yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Because the film already deals with the polarity of it and people from both sides. And the reason I, I try to stay neutral in the film and, sh- and give both sides you know, their chance is because to me, asking that question is problematic. It's exciting. It creates like some kind of controversy. But to me, the film is more about learning the complexity of managing a tiger reserve. The ideal and simple thing to say is it was in his home. And so he's right. That's the simple answer. But it's not that simple. It's bigger than that. Yeah, it's complex. The core is compromised, right? It's not ideally what they want it to be. The It's supposed to be this inviolate core area where tigers rule and no one can enter then this buffer and then the the human settlement which is the villages in this case And if you go further out my hotel and if you keep going the cities right so that's what it's supposed to but it's not that because india is a country with a lot of people tiger reserves are relatively new they're working on an ideal they're doing a better job than any place in the world because India has the most tigers. It has over 3,000 wild tigers. So there's only right. 5,000 in the world. So, but the film hopefully shows the, the nuances, you know, in, in how uh, a tiger reserve is managed. And so it's, it's not easy to say um, this is wrong and that's right. Like, like for example, I've, I've watched some of your videos. Like, you know, you work out a lot, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just say, okay, go to the gym and do deadlifts. And that's it. You could say it to like sell an idea, but it's way more than that. It's probably your warm up and your creatine and your sleep right. and exactly. this other thing. And, you know, and then the cycling of something. I don't know. Like, you know, do heavy for a while. And so that when you really get into anything in life that's significant enough, it's complex. 
And it's it's easy to say this is the answer because you don't want to deal with the complexity. But hopefully this film makes people deal with the complexity and not have a direct answer and hopefully learn something from it. Right. And I understand all that, but a part of you. Yeah. You feel bad for T24. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I was on a job because I do commercial work as well, filming in, I think, Carolina or something, for NASCAR of all things. Yeah. Like it was a job. And I got this call saying, uh, we think your tiger's killed a fourth or a sixth person. You got to come back to India now because they're going to either shoot him or move him to an enclosure, a zoo. And I was like, okay. And so I called the field director and I was like, what's going on? And, and he was like, look, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tranquilize him. I got to move him out of here. So if you want to get this tranquilization shot, like fly down like now. And I was like, okay. So I got my routine. And by the time I got there, he had already been tranquilized because the activism had become so extreme that they got him out there as soon as possible. It already gone to court. There was like billboards erected. But yeah, it, I wanted to cry though. I felt yeah. bad. I felt like, oh God, this guy's been taken away because I knew him. I knew how much time he spent with Noor, his mating partner, his cubs. And, and I know that a wild tiger, especially a dominant wild tiger that can roam anywhere in this massive territory, is not going to be happy in an enclosure. They'll never adjust to it. They'll never get used to it. It's, it's torture. As horrible as it sounds, it'd be better to just shoot him, Right. Because at least he's not dying a thousand deaths like constantly in this in the zoo. But at the time, we thought that there would be a real case and he could go back into the wild because there was a pretty strong case. And we didn't we didn't expect necessarily the government to shut it down right away. You know, there was multiple attempts to go back to court. But yeah, of course, to answer your question, I definitely felt bad. And of course I had a lot of emotions, but the the filmmaker in me was like, okay, well, you gotta you gotta look at this in the most objective way possible. Yeah. Because it's documentary. It, yeah. And if you've noticed, documentaries of late have become very biased. Right. Not, they don't and document I, anymore. Yeah. They, they're, they're just like, oh, this is my point of view. So I wanted to be like, can we just go back to what, it, what you know, as, as best as possible, document the truth, which is both sides. And that's what I appreciate too about the documentary is at the end, you didn't take a, a, a stand or a side, yeah. right? And it was mm-hmm. very neutral. Mm-hmm. And you said... So maybe there is no good guy or bad guy in this T24 tragedy. Maybe that's just life. Maybe if you look deep enough, there's dirt on everyone. Yes. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, because if you're an activist and you say T24 should not have been removed from the wild because, you know, he was in his home. You're not looking at the moment when this rat came into your kitchen and you were like, you took this thing and killed it. (laughs) Because yeah. no one has a camera on you right now, which maybe an activist has done. Mm-hmm. They probably have, right? Mm-hmm. You're not looking at, uh, I'm, I'm just saying this because I want you know, 10,000 Facebook likes. And I don't really care about these tigers, right? So I think that's why. And then the, on the other hand, the forest department, you know, they're, they're, not, they're forgetting sometimes why they're in the forest department. Because now they're just doing a job and they get these benefits and they have these routines they know what to do to keep their jobs but they're forgetting at one point they really love tigers and that's why they took this job in the first place because it's not an easy job to be out there in the field so i think um yeah that's what i'm saying if you look at yourself you know you've got a lot of problems too like all of us yeah you know and so it's, it's easy to point fingers but uh you got to see how you're behaving and i think also the villagers like people have come up to me so look at these villagers why are they going in to the core to like 
to the, to the pilgrimage and the temples and what's wrong with them. They, they shouldn't be allowed. And I'm like, well, you know, you and I could probably go tonight to a bar or watch a movie at a theater or whatever. For, for a lot of them, they don't have that entertainment right by them. For them, like the core is whether you go play cricket or walk your goats or something. And so if you and I grew up there, we'd probably walk in the core. Right. We'd probably go, I don't know, play baseball or whatever, you know, and yeah. just like mess around over there. And then all of a sudden one day you're killed by a tiger or I am. And it's like we look like idiots, but we're not. We're, we're, we're victims of our circumstance. So I think in that sense, you have to appreciate what these people are. And that's what I learned going there. Like it's easy just to point a finger when you're not. But I, I said, let me walk in and understand how this person got killed. Which was the dangerous part, obviously. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. when we walk into the core, yeah. but it felt kind of awesome on some level, you know. Right. Yeah. No, and that's a that's a powerful message and a great point. Cause I think me and Sam Cap both, when we were talking about it, we were pointing fingers because not understanding the circumstances. Cause we're like, we don't know anybody who's ever gotten eaten by a tiger because they never walked into the area of where a tiger was. Right, <clears throat> right Sam? Yeah. I mean, initially initially. My response was, you know, if you put yourself in a situation for that to be an option to get eaten by a tiger and it happens, well, I kind of blame the human. However, I feel like I was I was on that side the whole time until there was one specific instance where you mentioned that these people have maybe, I don't know, T24 is maybe taking the fall, if you will, in order to protect the greater good, the greater population of tigers. So maybe you have to sacrifice the individual for the greater good of the group, which I feel like changed my mindset. And then I was back at square one, not knowing which side I was on, which I feel like is a testament to, like you were saying, it's a true documentary. It's reporting the truth. And that is both sides. And still, as I sit here, I don't know which one I lean towards because every time I convince myself that I'm on one side, you point out another fact from the other side and then I'm right back in the middle again. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's a good testament to you as well. It's a good film. Yeah, thanks. You know, you, you got it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you're talking about the field director who says it's, it's not about one individual, it's a species. Yes. Yeah. Right. And protecting the species as a whole. And that is very important. And I was like, yeah. okay. Well, it's an interesting point he makes there because, you know, it, he's right in theory, but in reality, when you manage a tiger reserve, it is about the individual and the species because there's hardly any of them left. There's like 60 tigers in Runthambore. So for him, it's all about those individuals, but there was a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, he was pressured to justify his call, as was the chief wildlife warden, everyone on that side of removing the tiger. And so they kind of went more into the area of why they removed him. I think if the activism was less intense, they would have a more nuanced discussion about it, because I don't think there is a perfect call in wildlife. Because you can't have like 4K cameras around to be like, was it exactly him or mm -hmm. who was it? They have to make a call and it's never a perfect call. And it's based, you know, in large part because they they knew T24 was killing people and it was he at least was connected to it. But there's also a lot of pressure from the villagers. The villagers could riot. They could potentially burn the forest. They could kill other tigers because they, for them, tigers are vermin when they, when they become like this, when they enter their villages, enter their fields, kill their neighbor. It's a different perspective, you know? 
for us, it could be more like, oh, they're beautiful if you go as a tourist or something. Because yeah. you're like, oh, I'm there for a week and I saw a tiger and I put it on Facebook or Instagram and now I'm done. But if you're living there and you make right. a living there and you're you and I are neighbors and I can't walk to your place at night because we just heard T24s walking around. That's a whole new perspective on this animal it now. Is, yeah. you know? And you can't understand that until you're there. Exactly. And so you said how many tigers? 60? Yeah, about, about 60 in Ranthambore. How yeah. do they get... Um, because T T seventy five was T twenty four son, right? It's short for Tiger T number seventy five, which was Sul Sultan. So, so yeah, Sultan's his son, seventy two. Yeah, T thirty nine's Noor. But yeah, so they they number the tigers uh, because there's so few of them. So it's a way to to locate them, and then of course the locals give them names like Sultan or Noor or Stad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So with the core that you're talking about, where all these tigers are, then the buffer, there's parts where there basically isn't a buffer at yeah. all. It's just the town. Yeah. Ranthambore doesn't really have a traditional buffer. They Was there a, a buffer or they just never had one? I mean, there, there is buffer areas now, but it's not. So ideally, you want like a donut, right? The, where the middle is this core and then there's this buffer and then outside is the human settlement. And Ranthambore doesn't really have, you know, that that kind of situation. And they declare Project Tiger with this idea or this ideal breakdown of the reserve. But Ranthambore was so small, so it was it was basically all core. And then there's village. And I show that in the documentary. And that's part of the problem where in the buffer, it's like a mixed use area where you can you can go in, you know, to graze cattle. You can go in to use some of the forest, which is how, what the villagers do because there's riches in them, for, you know, for them. But in this case, they're going directly into the core. And that's the problem that the film is trying to illustrate. And, and Ranthambore is now working on that. They've expanded the Tiger Reserve. They are trying to get a buffer. They, they do have a lot of programs there to help the villagers. And they are a very successful Tiger Reserve. But... There's still problems and it's constant management. And to what degree are you managing, you know, is a big question. Meaning, you know, how wild are these tigers? How wild do you want to keep them? How much do you want to interfere with the villagers? How much do you want to let NGOs or activists come in and do stuff around the core areas? Which I have a lot of opinions on because I don't like a lot of things that are happening, but uh, I'm just a filmmaker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else don't you like that's happening? A few things, but I mean, right now there's a thing where certain activists, who I'm not going to name, who are, are are building these these water fake water bodies out of cement. They call them cement saucers, and their their and their argument is, I they feel really bad because some tigers will die of thirst in the summer, which I get it. But if you're thinking about conservation, you're thinking about long term the species. You want the preservation of the wild tiger, not a pet. And starting to add cement water bodies is making weaker tigers who could not dominate around the existing water bodies survive, which means their DNA will be weaker and the weaker DNA will be, will be propagated. It's putting cement on top of the soil. And you know, as you know, the soil, there's topsoil, alluvium, there's bedrock. So if the, the water should ideally be able to go down all the way. That's, that's what conserving... A tiger reserve is about, you know, all kinds of like preserving water deep, stuff like that. And as we all know, the concrete jungles here in the city, not inside the tiger reserve. So I think if there is an extreme drought condition because, you know, climate change, et cetera, you can refill or add water to the existing water bodies in the most minimal way possible. 
but don't create fake new water bodies with cement and and then tell everyone on social media you did something yeah, good and then they put your name on it and because that's what's happening and there's all these you know donations and things happening and and look they're very well intentioned i really think it's, it's the correct intention it's the right emotion it's the fact that they're thinking about tigers is amazing but there's got to be some kind of policing by the government as to what what they're doing here or scientists before they make that decision even what i'm saying you know maybe i'm not a scientist you know mm -hmm. but i just don't want to see these cement water bodies which is happening more and more around these tiger reserves you know say you post on social media that you're feeding the deer in your backyard yeah. or feeding stray cats right uh, do you believe that as well is bad for the species in general right because they need to survive on their own yeah i, th I think that if there are existing natural water bodies mm -hmm then that's better for them yeah. because it, it, it reduces man-animal conflict or man-animal interactions, which eventually always ends up being problematic. Um, it gives them richer water with minerals and stuff like that, you know, and it also keeps the wild areas wild. I think that as humans, we love to go hiking and in places, you know, where no one's been, but some places we probably shouldn't go. Maybe that's for the animals. Yeah. You know, we, we all... You know, on the planet, we all deserve a place to to live. And so maybe, you know, we got to be in our houses and drink our water and they should be over there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that brings up uh, a bigger question in the film. And I was kind of torn on this part where T24 had an injury to his paw. Right. And so then uh, he was tranquilized and under anesthesia was helped out by a group of doctors. Yeah. And the very outspoken tiger expert, Val McTupper, yeah, was saying that that was completely wrong, and that we shouldn't be playing God for these animals, and that if T twenty four was going to die because of this injury, then so be it. There's going to be another tiger that comes along. This is just kind of how it works. Obviously, you just said all that with the water, yeah. But in the instance where he's hurt, do you think he should get help from people that can do it? Well, I mean, there's a lot to talk about there. So first of all, the the uh, thorn in his in his paw was from an alien species of plant, which is interesting on its own, which was brought in to help the villagers with firewood. But it ended up overgrowing, and then this caused this problem. So there's you can see when we interfere, we start these problems. Not every time, but this is you know this is why right. intelligent interference is important intelligent intervening is important like should this this may help the villagers with their firewood but now it's going to have be thorny and, and a, a dominant male could be hurt so that's the first point there the second thing is unfortunately most of the tigers left in the world in the wild are the tiger reserves are managed so we're aware of them we're you know there's very few tigers we're not aware of and depending on the number of tigers in a given tiger reserve, there's an incredible pressure on the, the local chief wildlife warden, the local field director to maintain that number. So this was a new dominant male that they, it was like a rising star tiger, which was important for the species, important for tourism, important for the tiger reserve. So they felt the need to help him out. If there's an ab abundance of tigers and some tigers hurt, they should probably not help that tiger out. If there's not enough tigers, they probably should if they're going to be losing, you know, all their tigers and that whole DNA. Um, in this case, 
they tried to minimize the anesthesia, but the the injury took longer than expected and he he came to and there's always this balance between like how much do we anesthetize and how much do we not because if we overdo it that could make him sick as well you know or even like die so it's really interesting because Valmik believes that that's why he became a man eater because he came to and he saw all these humans around and so he the theory is that he associates humans with trauma and interference there's another tiger i think it's t104 a few years after T24 was was removed and everything, who also became a killer and killed actually three people in the span of one year outside the core in the human settlement. And this tiger was also tranquilized multiple times, you know, also interfered with. So there could be an association, but I don't want to be absolute about it. There's this need about saying this is the reason why, because I don't want to be absolute because the first kill by T104 was before he was tranquilized. So, was the first kill from T24 after? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he didn't kill anybody yet. No. No, he didn't yet. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Because if you think about it, you wake up and then you're in pain in a daze. You got all these humans around you. Yeah. You're going to associate that possibly. Right. With terror or fear. Yeah. Sam Cat's shaking her head back there. <laughs> I just feel like there's, I mean, as you've touched, but any subject or any question, there's so many layers. I know. My brain is spinning right now because I'm thinking about, so far, as you said, like to, to use your words, nothing so far that you have said, I'm absolute about. Every time I think I am, another layer pops up and I'm just like, that is true. So how can you blame the tiger if it's the human's fault for interfering? However, the human was interfering in order him. to help. Yeah. And then, but did they? Well, we don't know. <laughs> I can't, I can't grasp this. Yeah. I feel like I'm in school right now. I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Was he out for two days, they said? When yeah, he, yeah, yeah. It was how much days. anesthesia does it take to put down a 600-pound tiger? I don't, I don't yeah. know exactly, but I know, the, I know the vet, Rajiv Garg, you know, because we spent a lot of time, and he's, he's in that video. Yeah. Um, and that video, getting that video was, was obviously that wasn't my footage. It was the government footage, and yeah. it was amazing to get that because that's part of the making of film. It's like you have to get all these pieces of footage where you weren't there for, and it was really hard to get it, and they found it in this – dusty drawer on a dvd and then i was like okay can i rip this dvd and give me permission they were like yes it was so scratched up that i couldn't rip it so i actually took my camera and i filmed my laptop <laughs> playing okay. it which is why if you look closely it has these crazy lines on it you know like you know, computer yeah. lines so yeah that's how i got that footage but it was i think really important yeah one of the sad parts of that film was watching his spouse or wife whatever you call mating them partner, yeah. mating partner when she's just crying out for him after he had left yes and that's where you're like oh man that pulls out the heartstrings yeah and you were filming those shots yeah i mean i was there when she started crying and then i actually had to go back to the u.s so my camera ops got most of that and they were telling me about it and um yeah i mean it was really really moving um and it's kind of traumatic because you can see her looking and and sniffing for him and once the that's how tigers by the way maintain their territories and let their no, mates know what's going on they'll rub their cheeks on trees which their scent glands in here yeah and so the then they have scents and they can smell the the scent of the male or the female they'll uh climb up and scratch especially the males to show how big they are to the other males and females and they'll, they'll scratch they have these scratch marks They'll urinate, so they have all these pheromones and endorphins, and then um, they actually have an organ in them called the Jacobson's organ, 
and they sometimes will do this crazy thing where their cheeks are up and their tongues are on. They, they basically get a whole memory of information from the, the forest as to what's, which tiger has been here and all this stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, a very moving point in the documentary and it's put right at the midpoint like, like you're supposed to and, and people cry and they always get affected by that. And, yeah, yeah. You add the music in there. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And the cubs wandering off. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yes. And I don't want to spoil too much. You guys should definitely watch it. Then T, is it T55? 57. 57 comes in to kind right. of take over the territory. Right. So the question I had is, say T24, they were able to get him out somehow, which didn't happen, and bring him back. What would happen there if you had a new tiger who came in with his mating partner, he took over the territory. How would you reintroduce him to that area? Is that something you guys thought about? Well, yeah, that would be a huge, a huge problem. Yeah. Because T24 would, would try to kill 57 or at least scare him off, you know? Which I which I would have wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rooting for because T24. T57 is like is a big like chunky tiger as well but he was around when t24 was around he was just on the edge he but he wasn't quite as dominant so he would smell these smells and not enter but once he was gone and the rains you know took away t24 scent 57 was like oh I, maybe i can enter now you know yeah. and so he comes in and he you know you know what happens and we yeah. don't want to give it away yeah yeah, yeah. but that would yeah that would be a, a crazy fight yeah which would not be good for either tiger you know no it wouldn't Throughout the documentary, there are some graphic shots of mutilated bodies from the tiger. Was this something that you were nervous about showing on the film? Yeah, absolutely, because this is someone's father or someone's son. And so out of respect for the families, you know, that that's you know the first thing that that concerned me. So I let them know that there will be documentation of these events. And um you know, asked for their blessing. And uh, the three of the families didn't, just didn't want the eyes shown. So that's why the, the shots are the way they are, or the eyes are blurred out or cut out. Um, Ram Paul's son didn't mind anything being shown. So that's why his father's eyes are not blurred out. But um, it was important to show it to remind people that these are top predators. And this is what can happen when you walk into a tiger reserve. Because you can get into this mentality of they're cute and I want to snuggle with yeah. them or whatever. And, 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 you know, you have to respect that they are top. This is what they do. Right. They're designed to kill you. Uh, so I wanted to show that. But I kept it to a minimum, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, I've seen this. There, I have footage of T24 and his victims that no one has seen and no one needs to see. Right. That's way more graphic and way more in detail. So we kept it. I think it's under a minute or less per attack just to keep it minimal right and we also put a um a warning before the film starts in hindi and in english out of respect you know to those families yeah when you were walking up that hillside and yeah. you ran into those kids that were there when you were filming yeah who were they yeah so that was when i was documenting or trying to ex experience the reality of the second attack which was ashfaq and um I was going to the, the the place where he was killed and trying to understand it. And because that to me, I felt like instinctually as a filmmaker, to, for me to master this topic, I need to needed to walk the path that they did when they got killed. 
And so that one was, as you saw, pretty deep in. And I got permission, special permission to do that. I had to take a forest car, which I did. And and after I went in, the villagers heard that some filmmaker is up there. And so they came in to see what I was doing, you know, because it's sort of their backyard, right? And uh, it turned out that the people that came in were the people that actually lifted his his mutilated body or found and found his mutilated body and bought the department over there. And so it was this crazy, you know, coincidence. And I just, my camera op kept rolling, as you saw, which was very, very important that he did that. And then, then I went back to the site with them, which the guard was kind of pissed off at me because he didn't <laughs> want to keep going there because it's still yeah. dangerous and it was getting later and you never want it to get dark when you're there. Um, but the, uh, one of the guys there actually was the one who had the footage of the mutilated body. And so we used some of that, not all of it, uh, by filming his phone because it was on his phone. I felt like that was the best way to represent that footage. One, by minimizing it out of respect to the family, but secondly, to show it on his phone because that's where it was. And it also reduces the amount of space it occupies in the frame, uh, as opposed to like taking it off his phone and showing it on the full screen. But that was a really important day for me as a filmmaker in the moment, in the moment I felt like I'm really mastering this film because I was, I just like, we talk about the zone is the place in where you want to like learn information, whether that's, you know, in academics or sports or wherever you're getting enough where it's difficult, but, but not too much that you're overwhelmed, right. Or not too easy that you're like, I don't care. And I felt like at that point I'd read about it. I'd had I'd interviewed about it, but I hadn't actually walked the whole path from his house. I'd been there before on a Jeep. So I was like, let me actually walk and see. And so I felt like I was really learning the documentary and, and understanding, you know, what this man went through before he, he passed away. And we're going to take a halftime break. And this break is brought to you by HelloFresh, somebody that I use and love because, first of all, they're very convenient. And if you're busy, they have amazing, amazing, tasty recipes that you can cook up for yourself and or your family. And fall is right around the corner, and HelloFresh is here to help you plan for the busy season ahead with tasty dishes delivered straight to your door. Simply choose your recipes and pick your delivery date, and then just lay back and enjoy the last days of summer knowing that dinner is covered. And the key to dinnertime success, Sam Cat, is variety. HelloFresh keeps your taste buds on their toes with 40 chef-crafted recipes to select from every week. From family-friendly to fit and wholesome, you'll always find new and exciting recipes to try and love. Go to hellofresh.com slash 50booth, that's with two O's, and use code 50booth for 50% off plus free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash 50booth, and use code 50BOOTH for 50% off plus free shipping. It's America's number one meal kit. Producer Easton, you had a question about the tranquilizer and that whole process. What were you wondering when they put down T24th anesthesia? Um, I was wondering because you said that it's kind of like a, the male is the protector of the family and then the girl tiger is like the provider so like she goes out and hunts and the male's job is to protect the women tiger and i was wondering like if you talk about like when they tranquilize to give surgeries or whatever if they were to tranquilize the female tiger and then they're doing the operation or whatever it is in that 
core or whatever, if the male tiger is going to come out of the woods and, you know. I mean, that would be another great documentary now, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's possible, but unlikely, just because tigers don't necessarily want to approach humans, especially a group of humans. Uh, but it would be disturbing to the animal to see his mating partner out and because he would be able to smell her. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know for sure. I think it's possible, but it's, it's a low probability. Right. Yeah. And Ron Paul, you said that he potentially was just walking by himself and maybe just stumbled up upon T24. So Ron Paul was actually on the check post. He would actually... Be, be checking my documents before I entered the Tiger Reserve. So he, I had I had what's called a filming permission. If you went, you would have a, a tourist permit. And so there's there's these check posts to make sure that you're actually the person you are and that you have paid the amount of money to go into the Tiger Reserve to film tigers, see them or whatever. And that was his job. On that day, because, you know, T24 had come out of the main core and was right, right, right by this main road, um, he was with a couple other guards trying to identify number one definitely which tiger it was and where this tiger was right and so he the fact that he was alone and walked towards that bush is where the problem happened i think if he was in a group it would have been less likely again we don't know for sure but but yeah that's that's what i think happened he came in too close and either surprised the animal or he came in too close and t24's predatory instincts took over and he got killed. And you definitely believe that that was T24 on that one? Most likely. It was his territory, right? The only other, you know, tiger big enough over there would have been Noor, his mating partner. Possibly T28, but again, less likely because that was not really T28's territory, but he would maybe come there sometimes. And... There are some activists who believe it was T24's son, Sultan, T72. But um, that's their point of view. And I respect it. And it's documented in the film. And it's up to the audience to yeah. to um, understand or uh, make up their own mind as to what they think about that. I don't think it was T72 because uh, Sultan, his son, because they had a fight in Feb 2015, which I actually have... Um, on video, but it's not in the movie. And T24 kicked his ass. And he was like, okay, you're done now. <laughs> yeah. Like, now, this is no longer you play fighting and pissing around. This is like a serious fight. It went on for like days. Like he like beat this guy down. And he, T20, uh, Sultan left and went to Kaladevi in, in the north. So he wasn't really even there. And that's his son. That's his son. Um, He's going to grow up with some daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's a really important part of the film because questioning the identity of the killer tiger is interesting because it's cinematic. It's like who done it. It's a murder mystery. It's a big, you know, mm -hmm. film Hollywood thing. So I thought it was very interesting and cinematic, but it's also a compelling way in which to talk about the state versus the federal government's rules around the conservation of these tigers. Whereas the NTCA, which is the national tiger conservation authority, which is the new body from project tiger they have all these steps on identifying a killer tiger, like you should have DNA evidence or photographic evidence. And so they did not take the DNA evidence, which they could have taken. And so that's this film brings up those rules and into seeing why weren't they done? Should they have been done? 
even if the state government was in their minds 100% sure, should we respect these NTCA rules? And then should we have done the DNA to definitively identify the killer tiger? Which is, I felt like if I just did it the way I just did now, would be like boring. Yeah. <laughs> but, but with the with the who done it, well, maybe it was this. You know, then all right. of a sudden, you have a that's fun, a cinematic, interesting reason, a fun reason to 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 learn something, which yeah. is the best way to learn. You know. And one of the experts was like, "Yeah, could we do DNA? Possibly, but also, do you see where we're living and how we run our society right now? Right. There's no." traffic lanes there's no rules out here right. how do you kind of expect us to go then dna right off the dead body yeah valmix defense <laughs> was that ideally there should have been dna but in practicality there is not because a lot of things in india are not perfect and it's and managing a tiger reserve is complex and there's so many things going on and he felt that the state government who, who owns these tigers, by the way, and who know these tigers better than anyone, they would be able to identify the killer tiger better than anybody. The other side of it is then what is the point of these uh, these uh, rules by the NTCA, you know, these guidelines is what they call them. And that's what the activist case is about. Well, if we have these guidelines and we have a Wildlife Protection Act that lists these guidelines, well, what's the point if the state government's not following them? And so should these guidelines become law, right? Should they be something you have to do uh, with a, 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 you know, a legal requirement to do so? And I think that's what his case was about. You know, he lost his case ultimately, but I think it was something good to bring up to question the existence of these guidelines. A debate, I feel like, where people were arguing, was it just a chance encounter or did he stalk and then kill him yes. as if it was like one was better than the other? Yes, yes, yes. So, well, so that's the reasoning behind the, the people who thought he was a man eater and should have been removed. Their reasoning was that all these attacks occurred with a bite, a lethal bite to the neck. So he was going to kill these people as he would his prey. That's their argument. As opposed to a lot of tigers who most tigers when you see you on foot will try to avoid you or in the in the worst case they might try to you know scare you away by growling or something right um and i've experienced this i've i've tracked some tigers on foot and they just like they want to like when you see them you're like they want to avoid you but if you get close enough that's where the question is so was it that t24 was was killing in the back of the neck, like these experts say, because he wanted to kill you and eat you? Or is he just a dominant male? Or is he just being intelligent and being like, okay, this person's entering. So this is the most, this is what I know as a tiger. This is the easiest kill shot for me. Right. So it brings up a lot of questions. Um, also, you know, if someone broke into your home or mine, we may have different reactions. You know, you, I could be nervous or I could take a baseball bat or I could call the cops. So it just depends on who you are as a person in the moment and how you feel in that moment. And so I don't, I don't, it's hard to make a, a definite answer, but again, these are the tiger experts. So yeah. maybe they know more than me. So, you know, but I, that's why I put all these opinions in the film. You know? Right. And with everybody calling him a man eater, I'm like, aren't all tigers man eaters? Yeah. Right. They could be. Well, so traditionally, like, so when there was like 40,000 tigers in India, which there was at one point, there were more what I consider real man-eaters, like tigers who were selecting humans for prey um, more so than their regular prey. 
because they were like, okay, this is easier to eat, or I prefer the taste, or I'm injured, I can't hunt deer, and I'm actually going to go and kill, kill one him. human a week if I can, right? T24 was definitely not that kind of a man-eater, okay. if you even want to call him a man-eater. And that comes from, you know, when you have enough of variance in a population which comes from a larger number of people, or, or number of tigers in this case, then you get more extremes, right? But now when there's hardly any tigers left, you get less extremes. So now there's hardly any tigers left. There's only 3,000 in India and like 5,000 in the world. You have less of these traditional man-eaters. And so the, the definition has evolved. But if you define a, a tiger as a man-eater as one that is selecting human prey as it would as natural prey, T24 does not fall in that category. If you define a man-eater as a tiger that is killed and eaten the flesh of one or more humans, then T24 could be a man-eater. So it just depends on what your definition is. Okay. Let's get into the hunting a little bit. Okay. I think this is a very controversial topic. Yeah. Personally, I don't like or think there should be big game hunters. When I see images on social media of people who pay all this money to go out into these forests, and they shoot tigers, elephants, leopards, giraffes. I think it's disgusting. They're beautiful species, rare. And for somebody to, to take them out like that for no other purpose, I think, than kind of showing it off on social media or cutting their head off and putting it in their house, um, that's something that I don't understand. And so with this film, it showed the country, how it was back in the day before hunting, and it took out a massive amount yeah. of tigers. What is your take on hunting? Yeah, I don't, I don't hunt, and I'm, I'm not into hunting lions or tigers or rhinos or in Africa they're called the big five. Right. Uh, hunting is banned in India, which I think is is great. Right. Um, you know, um, I think culling sometimes could help conservation with certain herbivores. That mm -hmm. they're, you know, I think that could, you know, but again, that's it becomes an emotional decision because someone's going to talk about you're taking life or, or, you know, an activist or something like that. But you have to, there's the emotional aspect of it, mm -hmm. which, you know, you, you, you look at an animal and they're dead and their eyes and you feel bad. And then there's the kind of the logic and the conservation behind it. So, in, in India, there is no hunting of tigers. You, you, mm -hmm. You'll be in jail. You can't do it, okay? The Love government that. can shoot a tiger if, it's, if it declares the animal a danger to human life or a man-eater. Now, danger to human life is the, the PC term. Mm -hmm. um, in Africa, you can still, but a large portion of that money goes into conservation. And that's where it becomes a big question mark. Where, like, so they pay, the, they take the money from these... Big hunters to come out there and they just dump the money back in. Well, the, a percentage of it, right? Not all of it. Yeah, and obviously. and so that's where you have to look again closely at it. How much of that money is going into conservation? Uh, how much of that is forcing people in Africa now to to breed lions for the purpose of hunting? Right, which is which I am completely against that. Right. Mm -hmm. But if there's a truly wild lion that's really old, that's about to like die, and someone's going to shoot this lion, and that's actually going to help conservation, then that, as painful and controversial as that is, could be a good thing, ultimately. Mm -hmm. You know, 
if there's not a better solution. If there's a better solution, then why not? You know? Yeah. But yeah, of course, you know, I mean, I don't want to see a majestic animal being yeah. shot by somebody. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I just don't think it <laughs> I don't think it takes a lot of skill, these hunters. I'm like, you're rolling up on these Jeeps or whatever vehicles, you're sitting there and you're waiting for an animal to walk on by, and then when they're standing there, you just shoot them. I'm yeah. like, how about if you want to hunt them, get on the ground with them and let's go. I agree. Then that would be a challenge. Let's uh, make the playing field level here. Yeah. So no guns. <laughs> no guns. Okay. Yeah. No okay. guns. I'd say maybe like a knife. <laughs> no. Okay. A knife. Yeah. I was going to say a bow, yeah. bow and arrow. How but... about fake claws? Yeah. Fake claws fake would claws. be better. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> other than that, I'm like, was that really that difficult? I don't know. What do you think, Sam Cat? 33. <clears throat> I mean, I think that's a hysterical way to think about it is that if you're going to try and say that you're the big man in charge, like, let's put you on an even playing field and see how it turns out. I yeah. don't know that the human would win. Exactly. More times than <laughs> yeah. not, but I've never thought about it that way. Right. I don't understand the concept of why that's a fun time for people either, but I also did not realize that the money goes directly or a percentage of the money goes directly back in. Again, another layer uh, that mm -hmm. makes you think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. A lot of thinking. Uh, another quote that you had that I enjoyed. If we can give tigers a sacred place in the world, we can make the world a better place for all species, including mankind. Yes. So that's, that's so, so it's really important to preserve the tiger because when you preserve the tiger, you, pre you have to preserve their territory, the wild tiger, not tigers and zoos. When you and tigers have massive territories. Okay. And so in the preservation of that territory, you're, now pro you're protecting now the other species and the ecosystem within that territory. You're preserving the rivers, the streams. You're preserving you know, the trees over there, the shrubs that are holding the soil to prevent soil erosion. You're maintaining the biodiversity, which benefits all species, including mankind, because we want to fight to the mo as much as we can climate change. We want to have good air. We want to have good water. And this is coming from our wild spaces. And so someone in, a, in the city who's not even interested in tigers at all does benefit indirectly from the preservation of this wild habitat. So that's the ecological reason. And the other reason is they're just beautiful animals. Yeah. And I can't imagine a world without these wild tigers. And I say in the film, they're like works of art because people sometimes will you know look in awe at a work of art and start crying and are very affected. And I've seen... Tourists like, you know, who come with me or will come on their own, who are just so mesmerized by seeing this wild animal. And it's very different when you see them in Ranthambore in the wild compared to like in a zoo to see a truly like wild tiger, you know, just sitting around or hunting or mating or whatever. And I feel like that experience um, is inspirational, right? Because you sometimes need that, you know, in your life just to see an animal so beautiful, just doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is what tigers always do. We're always searching for purpose in life and trying to be mm -hmm. Zen. And if, you know, these days have 50 things getting our attention, there's something about just being in the moment and tigers are always in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some, you know, when you look at them, you, you learn that instinctually. Yeah. And it's fascinating watching that on your film where you see, you have a, a, a wide shot of all these people in the background. They just yes. have their phones out. Yes. And the tigers just, Standing right there, just doing his thing. And then another shot where 
they're kind of from a distance these two tires just kind of cuddling up and just doing their own thing and always yeah. being in the moment and it's yes. a beautiful thing to see uh something i want to see one day for sure i my goal is to go to africa or india to go on a safari yeah um not a big zoo guy i do feel like i'm just such a big animal lover that it's tough for me um i, I want to see the animals but i i just think i'm like that animal is not happy being in that cage that's not how they're supposed to live so it's always a, a fascinating thing for me yeah we can do it we can, we can go we can take you on safari if you want yeah <laughs> you can go to Rontenbore. <laughs> yeah Rontenbore. <laughs> yeah what's the population there of people yeah it's like i, I think it's like the town is like over a million you know, the villagers alone are like a hundred thousand plus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's a, there's a city outside called Sawai Madhipur and then another city further down, Jaipur. Right. Yeah. India's very populated. Yeah. And what part of India did you grow up in? Mumbai or okay. Bombay and now it's and Mumbai. And how far is that from Ranthambore? Far. Like it's a two hour flight to Jaipur and then I drive in four hours to Sawai Madhipur, which is a town just outside Ranthambore. And then... I drive in to the morning to the Tiger Reserve, about 20-minute drive-in. Okay. The filmmaking process. So you're someone who spent 10 years of your life putting this together, not knowing if it was going to succeed, if it was going to get picked up, and you continued to work on it, right. and you got your meetings, and you said sometimes it was just tough sleeping or waking up yeah. and not knowing, you know, hey, I just spent all this time, we don't know if it's going to work. What would you say to the filmmakers out there, maybe getting into the business, maybe putting together a film? I mean, I think if you want to age rapidly, if you want to be like stressed out of your mind <laughs> for 10 years, if you want to suffer continuous rejection in, in many forms to the point that you're just numb, I'd recommend independent filmmaking, <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, it, it just, I think, I got really humbled in this process. You know, I put more time, more money, more savings into this than I ever expected to do so. Um, I throughout the and I was humbled because I was naive in the beginning. In the beginning, when I first saw that shot of him in the water, I was like, "This is it. This is a hit documentary based on this one little shot." And I'm like, clearly, it's not right. <laughs> then I got more shots. Oh well, this shot, I've got him dragging this bull, and I'm like, "This, this is great." And I was like, it was nothing. Then he became the most controversial tiger in India and went to the high court. And I was like, okay, now this is the most important dog. And I'm like, nothing. Then I had this teaser. I was like, okay, this teaser is like really interesting. And then I knew a company that knew Leo DiCaprio. Then, and they were like, oh, he's interested. I was like, okay, this is it. This was like 2015, nothing, right? Then I went to multiple meetings where just getting the meeting is so difficult. And you're so excited about this, getting this meeting and you're only talking to the assistant and they change the meeting on the day. And like, can you do this time? And you actually can't, but you change your workout time and everything to get this meeting. And you're there, like you're ready. And you're like, oh, no problem. But and you have to be objective and realize all you got is a meeting, you know, and they, and, and their goal for the most part in these meetings is like, what just like a top predator like you know what can i get out of this guy by doing the, the least work right and so the position of a lot of these production companies is oh it's interesting let's sign an exclusive option but we have no money and there's no guarantee we'll ever do it and i'm like why would i ever do this you know right yeah <laughs> and so the, fe the 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 fear was well i need them i'm not big time i'm a small independent filmmaker i need their help i'm not good enough as a filmmaker, you know, I, I learned on the job, so I'm not good enough. To, I need these people who've done 10 great documentaries that actually are on HBO or Netflix or whatever. And I'm, 
this guy at home on my iMac. You know, why would I ever be able to do anything, you know? And now I'm learning why. I'm learning these terms, like, you know, whatever, you know, editing terms or whatever I've never heard before. But then I finally got a deal and got into it with a couple of these companies. And then you go in there and you realize, like, yeah, they know some of these terms and the process, but they basically know how to churn something out, like a factory, which is which is really important because you actually finish a film. If everyone you know, made films like I did, they'd probably be in a major loss, right? <laughs> because mm-hmm. you don't, if it takes so long, you just, you can't, you know, pay the rent, right? Right. So I just, in the end, I just got to a point where I was like, look, I actually understand the craft of filmmaking pretty good and I'm getting better and better at this. And I appreciate all these companies' input, which actually some of it helped me, some of it didn't. And I was like, I'm just going to finish the film. And it got to a point where I was like, it was so important to me. Like I said earlier, I was like, on some days I was like, I can just make this film and then I could just die. Cause I felt like this is like the most important thing I'm doing. It was, right. I was consumed by it. I was like, it's all I thought about. And I also was uh, going back to my roots. I'm from India originally, you know? And I was like, I was looking at the wildlife protection act of India. I was looking at the preservation of the national animal. I was actually doing something important while still making a film it wasn't about like i'm gonna be this director and like look at this cool shot and 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 look how what a great filmmaker i am it was about more than that it was about Mm -hmm. like this is actually substantial and wouldn't it be nice to put something out that's entertaining and engaging but still has something that makes the world like actually a better place without you know sounding too cliche so yeah all of those things yeah all those things made me like stay with it and then and my personality is also like a little bit like OCD. I get obsessed with things and I can stay on something for like a long time. Like I pretty much do the same things that I've done like years ago, which is I'm still into film and I'm still into tennis and I still like listening to the police and I still do that, you know? Yeah. So so I think I'm good at like staying at one topic. Uh, so yeah, uh, did I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So when you're doing that, you're obviously picking up other jobs on the side yeah. right, to be able to pay rent. Yeah. And like you said, uh, NASCAR is something. Yeah, that yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. My buddy, my buddy Zach got me this job where we had to film the, you know, the pit and yeah. And there was this driver Casey Kane and yeah. And uh, so you see, Sports wanted us to film him, and we did that. And I, I was one of like many people doing it, and yeah. So doing that and doing other commercial work and you know video work where you're not in control, where the it's a commercial client, you do whatever they want right. you to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what happened with Leo DiCaprio? Cause he's a, he's a big yeah um, animal guy. Uh, he, he was into it. His, his producers were really nice and really professional and they watched the film. And ultimately I think he gets a lot of requests for this type of content. So he went with another film. Uh, actually, uh, I know the film he went with. Um, I don't know if it was directly in his mind, in competition with Tiger 24, but it's, it's a Path of the Panther, which is another great tiger conservation film. I think it's on Disney or Nat Geo. They actually were in competition with me at Wild Screen in Bristol, UK, which is the premier uh, wildlife uh, media awards. It's considered like the the Oscars of wildlife stuff. And I actually won. And you beat them. I won. Well, take that, Leo. They won it in their category. <laughs> I won it in a different different category. So, but I was right there with them, and I'm really happy that uh, you know he supported them because ultimately he does support you know big cats. But it would have been great um, if he did support T24. But um, maybe he'll watch it now that it's on Netflix. When did you find out you're going to be on Netflix? 
just a few weeks ago uh, because Netflix uh, was one of the companies that was one of the streaming servers that was most interested for many years. They'd actually come to my edit bay and they were, it did, wasn't right for them multiple times. And that's a whole complexity in itself as to how they make their decisions. Uh, they obviously know what they're doing at the top streaming service. But my distributor, um, Elevation, you know, got it, got it to them and it finally got on. And I was actually like very pleasantly surprised. I didn't think it was going to happen, yeah. but I'm glad it did. And all independent, right? Like that's pretty rare to get a documentary on that's independently done. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. What's, uh, especially me playing so many roles, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but to be clear, a lot of people helped me with the film. Of I just course. want to make yeah. sure that everyone understands it was definitely a group effort. And if any one person that wasn't in the film was that it would not be the same, you know, like I had a, a writing consultant and an amazing colorist, the score people, my sound mixer, my camera ops, you know, so it's definitely, although it appears to be, uh, you know, I play a significant role. A lot of people help me make the film. And also for me on a personal level, I just wanted to like, man, can you do something with your life and finish it properly? You know, mm. like just actually follow through. And so for me on a personal level, I wanted to finish it. I felt like this tiger had given me so much of his time. You know, I'm sort of interfering, like filming him all the time. And he kind of got, you know, got to know me. I got to know him. The the families that were victims, I took, I took time from them, their stories, the activists, all these people. So I was, there was this pressure in me to be like, you got to finish. There's, there's, there's all these people who have given you their time and let you into their homes. And so, yeah, that's why I finished. And, and of course, you know, other reasons too, I thought it was, I thought it was an important film for tiger conservation. I really, when you look at most of these big cat docs, they're not very realistic you're not seeing the same tiger or, or lion when they're talking about it. They're just saying the name because most viewers can't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. They're not going in depth. They're not looking at the ground reality of conservation, which, you know, which I think my documentary does. Our producer back there, Andrew, he was curious. He might not hear this right now. He's got his headphones on. Yeah, there he is. Mm. He wants to know your thoughts on Tiger King. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, well, interestingly, um, Carol Baskin is a big fan of Tiger 24. All right. And she actually, when we did a, we did a theatrical release last year, just a really small one, and she promoted the, the Florida release. Okay. Yeah, she actually uh, did a, a Q&A, and then she invited me to go to the Tiger King uh, ranch, her place. Really? Did you oh, go? Yeah, I went, because I was nice. in Florida. I drove to Tampa. And initially, I thought one of her staff would would greet me, but she actually showed up in a golf cart and took me on and showed me her whole place. And 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 yeah, it was kind of amazing. Uh, and she's very different from how they edited her. In, oh, of course, in Tiger King, because uh, that was more about all this controversy around her and murdering and all this stuff. She had a rough edit, right? <laughs> and and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what she does. Like she's she actually takes, you know, um, tigers that have been already um, injured or damaged from, you know, a different owner or from a circus, and then she takes care of them. And she does not allow, like, petting. She does not breed tigers. She's really pro-conservation. And she's all she is about kind of what I'm about, which is the preservation of the tiger in the wild. But me meeting her and like I remember putting a couple of things on social cause, a lot of, like, controversy. Of people were like, you shouldn't be around her and asking all these questions but no i i thought she was great and and i i you know I 
didn't believe that I met her and you know she yeah. spent all this time with me and showed her, showed me around her place. Yeah, it was great. So met you, her husband and everything. Yeah. Okay, not the yeah. one that was eaten by tigers allegedly. No, no, <laughs> that, that one is no. gone. No, no, no. So you no. think she's got a pretty legit operation then? Yeah, from yeah, yeah from I mean, what you I saw. I literally went there. Yeah, I went there and I looked at everything and I I saw the food and I saw the 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 operating table and I saw the medicines and I saw the enclosures and I went up to the tigers and everything. Yeah. And would those tigers be obviously a little different than T24s? Where oh, completely. Yeah, they're smaller, less, less muscle mass. Yeah, more body, more body fat, smaller. Uh, still tigers, but don't quite have that edge. Definitely not tigers you can put in the wild. Right. Um, you know she's uh, taking care of them until their last days, and um, you know communicating the the message of conservation like, as she demonstrated. Yeah. By, by supporting my film. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there could arguably be some benefit to the, the DNA preservation, but I think um, those thoughts should be minimized and there should be a, a larger focus on preserving the wild tiger. Right. Yeah. I was Googling how long tigers live to. What do you think, Sam Cat? Hmm. Um, 45 years. That would be uh, an old tiger. Like yeah, so that would be a record. <laughs> yeah. I have no yeah. idea. A new world, an Olympic record. <laughs> I like to go I big think or go it's home. 15, you know? right? And then like the F oldest tigers around 20. Yeah, actually, T24's grandmother. Mushley. Really? Yeah, her name is Mushley. It's a famous tigress. Yeah, also from Ranthambore. Um, and yeah, so she was uh, the most famous tigress in Ranthambore till, till T24 became famous. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so about 15 in the wild. And but in captivity they can they can hang out longer because they don't have to hunt and they can get medicines and all all that stuff yeah yeah because yeah. I was so damn sad because after I watched your film I googled T twenty four now and I'm like all right we're gonna get this guy out of there yeah and they're like he just passed away in December yeah seventeen was he yeah seventeen approximately yeah yeah and so he had cancer yeah so so he was diagnosed with his bone he started limping. And he was diagnosed with this with this bone tumor, which is cancer. And they they did all the the checks and everything, and and then it just got worse and worse. And towards the end, it was he was in pain. He was walking on three legs, and then he just, he passed away. The government let me know, and um, you know I I got some last shots of him, and uh, I chose not to use it in the film. I didn't get enough time to change the end credits mm -hmm. on what's on on Netflix, but you know he has a Wikipedia page now. Really? So yeah, so people can look him up. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. So what's next for you? Uh, I've got a few projects. So I've actually got another tiger documentary called the Bamera Tiger, or or just Bamera that I've already shot, and it's it's a it's a it's about another dominant male tiger in a different tiger reserve, but this deals it's a more of an epic story dealing with like it's sort of like game of thrones like dealing with territories and one tiger taking over the other tiger's kingdom and and that one um i feel like the best execution would be a combination of the live action footage and animation or fully animating it because it has it's like it's like an r-rated lion king is i see is how i see the potential in it um i just had like a couple of meetings about it. I don't know what's going to happen because like I told you earlier off camera, when I have these meetings with these production companies, it's always like sort of a waste of time, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know, you, you don't know how much more you have to prove you're good or your footage is good until they say, okay, we're going to give you the money. Right. So I'm going through that 
whole BS routine right now. Yeah. Um, I've got that. I've, I'm very excited about, I'm a big tennis fan. I don't know if you are, but I'm, I'm more of a pickleball guy now. Okay. So you're taking away our tennis courts. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I'm that guy. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big tennis fan and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Stan Wawrinka, the former world number three. Uh, and he's the only guy to have beaten the three greats of tennis at the Grand Slams back to back, like Roger Federer, uh, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. And, I, and I've always liked him even before he was a, a big deal. Because yeah. I always thought like, why hasn't this guy won a Grand Slam? He's, you know, the most perfect, complete game, the best one-handed backhand ever. So I've been talking to his management, and now they're a little more interested about the possibility of doing a documentary on him. Nice. Uh, they watched Tiger 24. And so they were like, oh, yeah, Amazing. this is good. And so, so I don't know what's going to happen because it's going to involve you know, financing and getting footage from all these tournaments. So there's that project. I have a horror film that I have to remember not to say the name because the name is really, really good. and We don't want to lose the name. Yeah. But it's um, – I don't know what I can say about it. It's very unique. It involves a cannibal. All right. <laughs> so, so diff different form of man-eating. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes, you like the man-eating. Yeah, yeah. And it, it came from a little bit of my frustration in trying to get, you know, Tiger 24 going, which was very difficult to get the help I needed. That's why it, that, it became independent because no one wanted to support me without compromising the story, you know, or just getting me into some deal that was not good for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, my next film is going to be gratuitously commercial. So what should I do? Like a horror film. So that's kind of where I started writing that. And now I'm learning that genre and, and actually really beginning to respect it because doing, you know, actually trying to scare someone multiple times in a film is a Stuff. skill. Yeah. yeah. So I'm working on that. And What's then your I, favorite horror film? I mean, I don't want to say favorite because there's so many good ones, but I like The Watcher. Uh, I, I liked, uh, I actually liked Terrifier, which I thought was insane first, but then I started kind of, I started to find, find it kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and I, I started to respect that one. And the, you know, the, the, the first, the originals, like Friday the 13th and all that, they're pretty good. Yeah. You know, the old school ones are Barbarian. Awesome. I haven't seen that one. That's a good one. Yeah. My favorite is, uh, the strangers. Yeah. Just yeah. cause I feel like. Again, probably falling in line with documentaries. It's so realistic where yeah. these people are out at this house and it's based on a true story and people just come into their house in the middle of the night and terrorizing them. That's scary stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully I'll get one of these projects going. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a long process and hopefully this one will not take 10 years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, what's uh, one thing you hope everybody takes away from Tiger 24? I mean, I actually hope they're entertained. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, at my heart, I'm a filmmaker. And uh, if they want to start a conservation discussion after that, or it moves them more into thinking about conservation and, and maybe respecting that uh, wild predators, you know, need their own space. I mean, we, we love these creatures where we admire them, like not just tigers, lions, wolves, we just look at them, but we, we need to understand that they need space, a lot of it, inviolate space. And without this space, they will not survive. And that's not good for anybody, including mankind. And so hopefully uh, people can start thinking about maybe not going to this one place for a hike. And maybe that's for the wolf or the tiger or the lion or, or the bear, you know. And, right. and um, But yeah, but hope they just enjoy the film. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know I did. Everybody else here did. And like I said, beautifully done. 
had me feeling all the emotions. Uh, absolutely incredible film. You guys should check it out if you haven't. And we thank you very much for coming out here to talk with us. Ladies and gentlemen, the real Tiger King, <laughs> Warren Pereira. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.